Bomber describes the real-life manhunt for a serial bomber. The events are sometimes graphic and intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. A few minutes before 7 a.m. on Friday, March 2nd, 2018, 39-year-old Anthony Stefan House noticed a cardboard box on his front porch. The husband and father of an 8-year-old probably didn't give it too much thought. It's a pretty common sight, a plain cardboard box with an address label. You can imagine a quiet Texas morning on the east side of Austin. Sounds of neighbors, cars, children, and school buses just starting to come alive. Just another morning. Whatever neighborhood noises there were that March morning, the next sound would be that of an explosion. An awful, terrifying boom. Female screaming that something exploding. At about 6.50, I heard a loud boom. It sounded uh, what I describe as uh, like a empty trash dumps are getting hit by a truck. It was just a really loud, deep boom, um, and it shook the windows. I just froze for a second, and then my initial reaction was just to protect my son. It was just a loud, loud boom. I'm Jason Puckett. This is Bomber. Into the Over the course of this podcast, I'll tell you the inside story of the hunt for the Austin bomber. A search that would last 19 days while the city remained on edge and the nation watched and wondered, who is behind this? Where will they strike next? And what if this happened in my hometown? In March 2018, I was working at KVU. That's Austin's ABC affiliate. I covered local Austin news like music festivals, robberies, police investigations, local politics. But the Austin bombings hit me personally. I know it was the same for all of us at the station. Just like a lot of people in Austin, as the attacks continued, we were scared, confused, angry, and still doing our job to cover the news. It was terror that held over a long period of time. We had a community that was absolutely on edge, not knowing when the bomber may strike again or where. On the morning of March 2nd, 2018, my colleague Jay Wallace was just finishing up his live shots for the morning show. Live in Austin, Jay Wallace, KVU News. Now, Jay had been at the station for about a year and a half. As a morning reporter, he's up before most of us going through what's happened overnight. Then he typically heads out to cover the next story of the day before his shift ends. A lot of stuff happens. A lot of bad things happen, right? There's shootings, there's break-ins, there's fires, uh, there's car chases. It's just, I mean, crime happens late at night, right? It, that's just a reality. There's also a chance that things aren't actually as bad or as big as you think. Many times we get called out to scenes and it ends up being, for example, a, um, you know, a family disturbance. Right? A husband and a wife had an argument. It's a one-time thing. It wraps up. Um, someone goes to jail. And then you move on to the next day. News is always moving, always changing. That morning, Jay was sent out to northeast Austin where news of an explosion had come in. 911, do you need Hey, uh, I don't know what's going on. My neighbor, uh, something exploded or something. He's, there's blood everywhere. We need an ambulance immediately. I heard the explosion. There's a smoke alarm. There's blood everywhere. Okay, so there was an explosion then. I think so. How many people are hurt? It's my neighbor. How many? Just one? Just one. Yes, ma'am. How old is he? Uh, around my mid-30s, probably. Is he awake? Uh, no, ma'am, not at all. He's not awake? Is he breathing? Is he breathing? Yeah, he's definitely breathing. Uh, he is breathing. Okay, good. 
Alright, sir, do you see any kind of fire or anything? I don't know. Uh, no, one of the neighbors went in the house and we didn't see anything. Okay, hold on. Everybody needs to stay out of the house. Jay Wallace was the first KV reporter on the scene. One person is in the hospital after an explosion at a home. KV's Jay Wallace is live. And right away, he noticed that Austin Police Chief Brian Manley was there. Whenever he is on a scene, that's when you know it's just a little bit bigger than normal. It just makes your eyebrows raise just a little bit. Like, all right, Brian Manley's here. So um, he wants to make sure and get this right and tell us what's going on. And he wants to be at the front of the story. I was in my office early that morning. And I had received notification that there had been an explosion at a residence in northeast Austin. And my initial thought, like most police chiefs, I think initial thought would have been is, you know, we had a hot water heater explode. We had someone that was welding too close to the tanks or something. Your first thought is not that you've necessarily had the type of attack that we had here. In March 2018, Brian Manley was the interim police chief watching over what he describes as the fifth safest major city in America. But as soon as I got the initial reports that spoke of a victim being down and spoke of a debris field with shrapnel, it became obvious what had happened. So I did immediately respond to the scene. When KVU's Jay Wallace got to the scene, he went to work looking for information. A stretcher is soon rolled away and it becomes clear someone is hurt. Jay starts talking to the neighbors talking about just how loud the explosion was that morning. That was, you know, the big, a big part of that story that day uh, before we really knew what was going on, just what people heard. And it was just a, just a loud explosion that people didn't know what it was, uh, if someone caused it, if it was an accident. One of those neighbors is Sean Phillips. He lived next door to the home of Stefan House where the blast took place. I ran outside and I saw him standing over there. Uh, uh, he was glazed over and, like, didn't really have a very responsive uh, went in responding to seeing me or hearing me or anything. He collapsed. I gave him two rescue breaths to get him breathing again and uh, called 911 and uh, uh, did what they told me. They had us uh, roll him over. Another neighbor helped me get him rolled over. Despite the swift response from neighbors and EMTs, Stefan House was later pronounced dead. Medics responded to a man in his 40s with traumatic injuries. He later died at St. David's Round Rock. He seemed like a good guy. He took our kids to his daughter's birthday party and uh, brought my son back when he wasn't feeling good. This was some sort of an explosion from a device on the home's front porch. Jay learns that House's 8-year-old daughter was inside the home's front door when the blast went off. She escaped injury, but she likely saw it all happen. She was the first person to actually see him in a condition afterwards. For Morning Reporter Jay Wallace, maybe the deadly blast was just another tragic headline in the daily news cycle. Some people thought it could have just been something a part of a house, uh, a tank that exploded on accident, you know, down a water heater or something. I mean, everything was up in the air. It, it could have been anything. And well, there was a bunch of speculation, but a part of that speculation was this might not even be anything. At the scene of the blast, crime scene tape went up and investigators swarmed the yard for traces of evidence. Another one of my KVU colleagues was hearing the news of the blast that day. My name is Tony Plahetsky. I'm a reporter for KVU News and the Austin American Statesman, and I've been a reporter in Austin for 19 years. Tony didn't know it yet, but he would eventually be consumed by the story in the weeks and months to come. There was very little information about what the package was made of after after that first explosion. What we know, though, is that federal agents drove up from Houston and San Antonio and here in Austin, and they actually spent hours with tweezers going through the yard, going through the grass, picking up pieces of debris, and then the the 
remnants were flown to Washington, D.C., where they were essentially reassembled so that authorities could figure out what the bomber had used to make the device. While Tony certainly heard about the news of the blast, other reporters were covering the breaking news that day. He was aware that there weren't many details coming from police. I mean, it was described as a package bomb that was left uh, at his front door. He was a a dad, basically a suburban dad, who opened his door, found this package, and opened it, and it exploded and killed him. He eventually learned how horrific Stefan House's injuries were. A neighbor later described that he was so wounded that when this neighbor started uh, CPR, they didn't really know where to start CPR because of the extent of his injuries. We made the decision at the scene that uh, ATF would take lead on processing the explosive device. They were going to transport all of the evidence to their lab. Again, because it's it's the ATF's expertise, they actually have an E in it, ATFE for explosives. This is their area of expertise. They were working to identify the components that were used to construct that bomb and then to work backwards to try and identify where they may have been on. With ATF going through the debris and bomb fragments, Chief Manley and the Austin police went to work canvassing the neighborhood. Uh, We're fortunate that uh, with all the technological advancements, there are a lot of people that have either home security cameras or the ring doorbells and other companies' doorbells that that capture these images. So there was a lot of work being done, as we do in, in, in all homicide cases, trying to uncover any possible evidence we may have Uh, video evidence or, again, witness evidence that might have seen something suspicious. In the newsroom, we started learning more about Stefan House. Family members and his friends described him as a pretty unassuming man. We know that he went to a local high school in an Austin suburb called Pflugerville, was a graduate of Texas State University. He had also, we understand, served on his uh, homeowner's board for his local neighborhood. In fact, as police started investigating, that was one of the angles they were looking at. They wanted to find out whether or not, because of his role on the homeowners association, if that maybe had led to some acrimony from someone in the neighborhood who could have possibly have targeted him. But that theory didn't yield any real evidence either. The police department was doing more of the, the door-to-door conversations, but, but also looking for any of the evidence, uh, really working on identifying the victimology in this case. That's really where a homicide investigation uh, starts. Again, it's understanding your victim, understanding their acquaintances, anybody that might have a reason to want to do them harm. And so a lot of that work was being done in those early days, again, trying to establish a potential motive so that would lead us to possible suspects. Erica Proffer is also an investigative reporter at KVU. And after moving to the city several years ago, she says she's proud to call Austin home. I love Austin. I love Austin because of the diversity. I came from a small town where... Uh, you know, it's rural Alabama. So for me, Austin was the big city. Like Tony Plahetsky, Erica heard about the explosion, but as an investigative reporter, she wasn't covering the story at the time. It didn't really come across our radar uh, as far as, hey, this may be a, a, a big investigative piece, because we just didn't know. We, You know, police were saying that it was an isolated incident, and 
there wasn't really anything at, at that first explosion that said, hey, this may be a bigger deal. I think law enforcement was pretty baffled um, by the first explosion. There weren't many clues. Uh, I was getting information from law enforcement sources that they were chasing a number of different tips, a number of different possible leads, but really none of them really panned out. They were looking at whether or not this was a case of mistaken identity, whether or not Stefan House may have been uh, linked inaccurately so to a drug raid that had happened in that neighborhood. And so that was one big theory that police went down early in the investigation. And there were others as well, but none of them really led anywhere. But up and down the Northeast Austin Street where the device exploded, people were nervous and asking questions. What had caused the explosion that killed their neighbor, a seemingly mild-mannered husband and father? Was someone targeting House and his family? It's heartbreaking, to be honest, especially the fact that the house is so close to where I live. It's right down the street a few houses down. It's a really safe neighborhood. You don't really expect anything like that to happen here. For neighbors on House's street, the fear was palpable. Certainly for Sean Phillips, who rushed into the street and tried to revive the dying father. I've had some uh, some acute trauma symptoms and been jumpy and having some flashbacks and whatnot. If you lived in or around Austin, Texas on that March day and followed the news, you would have heard about the explosion. You might have wondered or thought about the innocent victim and who was behind the blast. The Austin police chief says APD has no reason to believe at this early stage of the investigation that this is anything beyond an isolated incident or anything related to a terrorist attack. It's being investigated as a homicide. Police say there are no other injuries. The federal ATF was brought in very early in the investigation because it did deal with an explosion. The FBI was notified as well. But law enforcement decided pretty early in the investigation that they did not think that this was an act of terrorism. And so the Austin Police Department essentially maintained control of the case. This was a pretty basic homicide investigation as far as the Austin Police Department was concerned, with, of course, the unique circumstance that it involved an explosive device. But they definitely thought that this was a criminal act and very much targeted at one specific person. But then suddenly... The focus of the investigation changed. Police had a new theory. Police are now backpedaling what they once classified as a murder. They're now labeling suspicious. Authorities actually floated the idea that perhaps that this was an accidental death, that he may have constructed the device himself or may have been working with explosives himself and accidentally caused the injuries to himself. It was a notion that really did upset House's family. They said that there was simply no way that that could have happened. Narelle Wainwood describes himself as Stephen House's brother. House's family took him into their home when he was in high school. He and House were friends at school. And even though he was older than him, Wainwood looked up to House. He remembers when he got the call. Yeah, I was uh, working in oil fields and in New Mexico and mom called me with tears in her voice and she's the type of woman, she doesn't cry. I just turned around. She's like, I need you to come home. And I was like, why was wrong? And she says, Stefan has been killed. And so I just froze and just gathered up my equipment and left and drove like seven hours to get there. He's one of the most considerate people I know. So he's, 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 really, he's really a loving person. I mean, that's, that's how we met. That's how we became best friends. That's eventually how I became brother once him and mom took me in. Because uh, 
I used to get ridiculed for the clothes I wore because I was in a, in a foster home. And he would actually sneak his clothes that his mom bought to me so I could wear them during school. And she didn't find it out until a couple weeks ago. She was kind of, <laughs> she's like, all those years. So I would, and then once they, after a while, she took me in and they became my family. And they started with he and I playing, running track together and being friends in school. House had literally given Norrell the clothes off his back. So to find out that he had been killed, suddenly and without any explanation, was devastating. Like a lot of people who knew House, Norrell didn't believe what police were saying about his brother, that he had set it off. I just, it was more like a slap in the face. Because we know who he is, we know who he is as a man, as a father, as a brother, as a son, as a husband. We all knew who he is and that wasn't who he was. And for that to even be a possibility, especially put into the public without having any reason at all to bring that up, there was nothing that even sent them in that direction to make those assumptions, especially publicly. It was like they were just trying to shirk their responsibility. They told the public this is an isolated incident, and I believe had they, you know, and I said this then. And it wasn't just because it was my brother. I believe that they should have put people on high alert regards until they know better and not just assume. We tried not to limit our focus, you know, at the scene of that that first bombing. Uh, We tried to understand, as we do in any investigation, what the possible motive may be. And oftentimes you have to start with looking at who the victim was to understand who may want to do them harm. And so in the early hours, that's what we were trying to do is learn more about the victim of that first assault, Mr. House, and again, tried to establish a possible motive. If that was the case, though, that House had set off the device, neighbors were now even more concerned. As soon as I heard it switch to suspicious death was like where, like, you know, it felt like they were going to put less attention. We learned a little about the device. It was packed in a simple cardboard box, and it detonated when House opened the box. But police still weren't sharing many details about the explosive itself. And there's a good reason for that. It's a pretty basic tenet of any police investigation. You don't tell the public too many details. The details only the suspect would know. In the meantime, bomb fragments collected back at the site of the explosion were going under the microscope in Washington, D.C. The analysis of bomb fragments could answer some critical questions. Was this hard to uh, acquire? Was the material and the the actual casing hard to acquire. If not, can we start tracking down who bought them in the area of Austin? Jimmy Oxley is a professor of chemistry at the University of Rhode Island. She sets off explosions for a living, even has a license to do it. And she can tell a lot about a bomb by looking at the exploded fragments. First, there's physical evidence. The fragments themselves, you know, are they plastic? Are they a um, gas tank? What was the material? If it's literally a pipe that was purchased, they'd lead you back to an area of the country where the material was purchased. If it was military, that might lead you down a whole different path if it was homemade material versus uh, a commercial um, bill, a commercial smokeless. Then there's a chemical analysis. There's often very visible residue of the material that was inside. Even if it's not visible, there's often enough trace residue, the stuff you can't see, 
that when they take it back to the lab, they can identify what was used. And amazingly, sometimes there are fingerprints. People always think they will cover up a murder by burning the place down, and I don't think that ever works. And I'm sure that if there are some places in the whole device where a fingerprint can survive. Now, Oxley talks about a pipe bomb as a general term. But the basic idea with a small bomb is that the explosive material is packed in some type of enclosed casing. When a pipe bomb detonates, the casing used, or the pipe, will explode and go flying. One fragment hitting you in an unfortunate location uh, can kill you. And if someone wants to do real damage, pipe bombs are sometimes packed with other materials. And of course, then you have the guys that purposely paste nails on the outside or fill them with bolts or something so that they have those fragments. Rest assured, we're not sharing any devious secrets here. It's all a quick Google search away. And that's part of the problem. Bad guys can find step-by-step instructions for pretty much anything on the internet. Back in Austin, it was becoming clear to me and my colleagues that Austin police did not have much to go on. As in any criminal investigation, unless there's an obvious lead, they have to look at all possible angles. But those weren't panning out. First, there was the idea that Stefan House was somehow mistakenly linked to a drug bust, and the blast had to do with that. Then there was House's involvement with his homeowners association. Maybe there was some bad blood there. And then the idea that House had triggered the explosion himself. But that seemed to bring up all kinds of questions. Why would he be toying around with an explosive device on the front porch of his home? Was he known to build such devices? Was there any evidence? Turns out that theory ran cold too. And then no one had any answers. We continued asking questions of law enforcement, what they were finding, but it really became a deepening mystery. Uh, People really did want to know how this happened, why this happened. A week went by. We didn't learn many new details. Still no answers, still no suspects. And outside of House's neighborhood, life in Austin pretty much got back to normal. That was all about to change. And it wasn't until the morning of March 12th when we started to get some clue that this was part of something bigger going on. The first 911 call came in early on Tuesday, March 12th, around 6.45 a.m., about the same time of day the first bomb had exploded. I had gotten up that morning around 6.30, and my phone started ringing, and it was law enforcement officials describing a second bomb that had just gone off. And at that moment, it became a real turning point because it became clear, at least to me, that this was going to develop into a bigger news story. So I reached out actually in that moment to my bosses and told them that I was getting on board, that I was making phone calls and trying to figure out what law enforcement were learning about that explosion. Jay Wallace was once again called out to the scene, another suburban street on the east side of Austin. On the way there, his mind raced. 
what I remember doing was I was in the car with my photographer, reading up and reminding myself and refreshing my memory of that first explosion on our way to the second one. Police hadn't said anything official yet, but Jay felt pretty sure the attacks were related. It's too coincidental within this, I think, 10-day span, if I remember correctly, or within a couple weeks, you can't have these two things that are so out of the ordinary happen in similar manners in the way that the explosions were similar and how they were described and everything. There's just that gut feeling, all right, we might have something bigger on our hands. I was at my desk when I got the call that we had another explosion in a neighborhood and that we had a victim. And it was in that moment that I absolutely recognized that we had someone attacking our city because you do not have two bombs carried out in the way that these were without someone being responsible. It, it was immediately evident that we had someone that was attacking our city. And you're thinking, how many more did this person or persons plant overnight? How many more unsuspecting people may go out front and handle a package and suffer the kind of injuries or, or loss of life that we've already seen? Once, once we knew that we had a, a possible serial bomber, um, that is when everything ramped up really, really fast. Next time on Bomber. You can't even emotionally process or wrap your head around this. This whole past 10 days has been like a movie scene. We just want answers to know what happened to our neighbor and to what, what's happening to the other people in Austin. You can have terror strike in a moment. And we knew that time was of the essence, again, because of the unpredictability of, of when and where the bomber may strike next. Into the flames, I laid you down. Bomber is a production of Vault Studios in collaboration with KVU. We're available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our executive producer is Will Johnson. My thanks to the people of Austin, my colleagues at KVU, and the men and women of the Austin Police Department for taking part in this podcast. Join us next week for part two.